Hello, and welcome back to your favorite true crime podcast, Sick. I'm Jill, I'm your host, and today is episode three. We're going to be talking about Kelly Cochran, otherwise known as the Devil Woman of Michigan. Um, And for today's episode, I watched a documentary on the Investigation Discovery Channel, um, but I watched it on Amazon Prime. It's also available on YouTube. Um, It's called Dead North. It's really good, and I highly recommend you guys watch it. I also watched a shorter documentary. It was like it was a news show or something. It was like 45 minutes long on YouTube, and it was called Wedding Night Pact Leads to Double Murder, A Killer's Mistake, episode 110 by Top Fox TV on YouTube. Also recommend that. It's shorter, so if you don't really want to get sucked into you know, a mini series, which basically Dead North is, it's awesome. It's like four episodes and they're all like long. So it's a good little binge for a weekend morning or evening. So Kelly Cochran and her husband, Jason Cochran grew up in Merrillville, Indiana and met each other as children. They were neighbors. Kelly, according to her mom, was a very difficult adolescent. She had trouble with drugs and she just had a really bad attitude like she was just not able to be controlled so her mom put her in a girl's home jason and kelly started dating when they were in high school and they fell in love and got married in 2002 when they married they had a pact that if either one of them had an affair the one who had the affair would kill their lover the third party so They were a fucked up couple and a lot of weird shit happened between 2002 and 2014, which we'll talk about way later. But out of the blue, in February 2014, the couple moved to Michigan in an area called the Upper Peninsula or the UP as the locals there call it. Chief Fritzo was trying not to call it desolate in the Dead North documentary, but It is totally desolate out there. I'm from Southern California, so to me, like I looked at that and I was like, yeah, that's a creepy area. There's literally nothing out there. It's really small, like very country, plenty of places to bury a body. And um, there were a lot of old mines that had caved in and filled with water. Um, And so like, I'm sure there's plenty of bodies in there and those guys, but anyway. On October 27th, 2014, a a lady named Terry O'Donnell went to the police and told them that something was really wrong. Her good friend was missing and not responding to her texts and phone calls. And that was completely unlike him uh, because she really, they had a romantic relationship in the past. So she spoke with chief of police, Laura Fritzo, and told Laura that Chris Reagan, her um, ex-boyfriend, was missing. He was 51 years old, six foot one, and he had blonde hair and blue eyes. Terry had not heard from him since October 14th at about six o'clock in the morning. And in the Dead North documentary, Chief Fritzo said that you, when you're in the police force for such a long time, I mean, some people have this gift without being in the police force, but you know, you see enough of people and you start to know like right away, like what's bullshit and what's not. 
And she said that she could see things in Terry's eyes and demeanor that you just don't see in somebody who's hiding something. And I believe it because honestly, even though I've only been listening to true crime, like, and I haven't gone through any of this stuff myself, like as a cop or anything, I totally believe it. Like after a long time of, you know, seeing criminals and hearing them lie to you, you probably get real good at going, yeah, that's bullshit. So anyways, um, Terry told Chief Fritzo that Chris had told her that he was going to go take his uh, a drug test the following morning for a job that he got in North Carolina. And he was certain he was going to pass, obviously. He was, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember what branch of the armed forces he was in, but I believe he was in the armed forces for, I want to say Air Force, but I don't want to be wrong. So anyway, sorry, you're going to have to Google that for yourself. But, um, you know, he was a real straight up guy, like, it seems like he was kind of a straight edge, real particular about how he liked things and um, just a driven person. So anyways, he was real excited to move to the Carolinas. He was going to move with his son, who he had been estranged from for a little while. But, you know, he was rekindling a good relationship with him. And they were just excited to move down to the Carolinas together. So um, anyway, Chief Fritzo sent Sergeant Barrett with Terry and they searched Chris's apartment. And Terry said that his apartment was all disheveled and it didn't even look like his apartment at all. It looked like he was in the middle of something like, you know, um, I mean, he was supposed to be moving the next day. So yeah, I'm sure he was in the middle of something. (laughs) But anyway, Terry said that she just kept seeing things that were out of order in such a way that told her that Chris was gone and not coming back, which I think makes sense. Because, I mean, if his dishes are still in the sink and he's like a really, you know, um, meticulous person with cleaning his dishes and everything, like, obviously, that's not normal. So, Terry also um, noticed that Chris's car was parked at the Iron River Park and Ride. So, the cops and Terry went to Chris's car and they checked around his car and they said that it just looked like he left his car there and never came back. So Chief of Police Laura Frizzo had the car towed to the forensics team and they determined that Chris's last purchase was buying gasoline at 4.13 p.m. on October 14th. So Terry and Sergeant Barrett went to his apartment and it didn't look right, like I said. And she was concerned that something really bad happened to him. So Terry and Chris were childhood sweethearts who went their own ways. And then in later adulthood, they started dating again. But their relationship didn't really work out because Chris had a porn issue. And Terry was just not in agreement with that part of his lifestyle. But they remained very, very close friends. So um, it was just seemed like it was one of those relationships, those friendships that like it didn't matter like what happened between them. They would always be there for each other. So the Iron River PD put out a press release. Um, There was a tip that officers should look at somebody named Dale Vassar. And the cops knew who this guy was because he'd been in trouble before. And so they interviewed him and asked him to take a polygraph test. And he agreed. He wasn't even in Michigan at the time of Chris's disappearance, so that lead went nowhere. 
Chief of Police Laura Frizzo. I'm just going to start calling her Chief Frizzo because I've said that like five times and there's no need. So um, she called the HR manager at Goldenberg where Chris had been working and the HR manager's name is Laura Sartori. And she called her to get any information that she could about Chris. And Ms. Sartori shared that it upset some people that Chris had been hired and promoted so quickly. And when he disappeared, Ms. Sartori knew something was wrong because Chris would have told her if he was leaving. He was just not the kind of person that would just bounce and like tell nobody. And that's basically in line with what his ex-girlfriend Terry had been saying. So Ms. Sartori told Chief Frizzo that another employee at Goldberg, did I say Goldenberg? I don't know if it's Goldberg or Goldenberg, but one of the two, <laughs> sorry. Um, she told her about another employee there that was named Kelly Cochran. And this lady, Kelly, was married and she was an electrical assembler. And she was described by her coworkers as hardworking and very outgoing, but she had a lot of problems. So um, her team had come to Ms. Sartori in HR and said that Kelly's husband had tried to kill her and commit suicide. And Ms. Sartori felt really bad about that story and she told her husband about it. And she said, you know, we have a spare apartment, you know, maybe we could just lend it to her for the time being to keep her safe. But her husband just had a gut feeling that that story there wasn't there was more to it and he would not allow Kelly or Miss Sartori to allow uh, bring Kelly into their spare apartment and he just said it was a bad idea so chief fritzo decided to visit Kelly's house and interview her and she and sergeant barrett came to the door and jason answered the door and sergeant barrett asked to speak with kelly and jason said oh she's not home i don't know where she is and they were like, is anybody else home? And he was like, no. And then literally Kelly came to the door and Sergeant Barrett was like, okay, why did you just lie to me? And Kelly jumped in and was like, well, he, Jason thought I might be in trouble. So the cops asked Kelly about Chris and she said, oh yeah, I know him, but I haven't heard from him since October 14th. And they asked if she was having an affair with him and she admitted that she was. Mind you, this whole conversation is actually going on with her husband, like standing right there. And um, they, she admitted that she was having an affair and that her husband was okay with it. And apparently Jason stood there as she said all of this, looking stoic and emotionless. Kelly claimed that she had been trying to call and text Chris, but she had been getting no answer from him. She appeared to be concerned and she mentioned that she thought he just left to North Carolina early. And she asked the cops to let her know if they found anything out. Sergeant Barrett told Chief Fritzo that something was very off about this couple. And she said that something told her to be suspicious of these people. So the next day, Chief Fritzo invites Jason and Kelly into the police department for more questioning. During the interview, Kelly was friendly and talkative. And they asked her if they should be looking at Jason for the murder of Chris because they reasoned that Kelly was having an affair, so perhaps Jason had gotten murdered and, mar and oh my God, jealous and murdered him. I was gonna say Jason gotten murdered and jealous him. I don't know what the hell, sorry. Oh man, okay. <clears throat> I'm okay, I promise. So Kelly told the cops that Jason wasn't 
somebody that they should bother looking at because he just wasn't the type of guy that would you know murder somebody and so at the time of his death chief fritzo learned that chris was actually dating two women so terry o'donnell and kelly cochran so during the interview they asked kelly to tell them what she knew about chris and she said that they met at work and they would hang out at his apartment. He, he um, she said she was talking, Sergeant Barrett said that um, Kelly was talking about Chris in past tense. Like Chris was a good guy. I loved him. And the cops hadn't even intimated that he was dead. They just said he was missing. So that right there was a real red flag for them. So they asked her more about Jason and her marriage with him. And she told them that Jason had suffered depression and had cancer at some point, And he couldn't do anything physical without being in a lot of pain. So that's why she was having affairs. And she was very open about her sex life. And this surprised the cops. So at the same time that she was seeing Chris, Kelly was also seeing a man named Eric Erickson. I just want to correct something. Um, I don't know why I wrote this earlier, but um, Terry and I said that Jason was dating two people at the time of his death. And uh, he, I mean, he sort of was, but like Terry and he at the time, like they weren't really dating. Like they had broken up by that point and they were just really good friends. So yeah, just wanted to clear that up in case it was confusing. Okay. So, um, so the cops asked her more about Jason, blah, blah, blah. And she ends up telling them that at the same time she was seeing Chris, Kelly was also seeing somebody named Eric Erickson and all the men knew about each other, according to her. So after their interview with her, Kelly, they brought in Jason and immediately he tells the cops that he has anxiety and starts sobbing. And in the documentary, Chief Fritzo was like, who starts an interview this way? Like, what does he have to be crying about at this point? So she knew then that he was saying he knew more than he was saying. And Jason told the cops there was there was about 18 months where he could not walk or talk because he was so sick. And he himself gave Kelly permission to go elsewhere for sex. He didn't like it. But he said that he put up with it because he was afraid to lose her altogether. So he let her do whatever she wanted. She was reportedly emotionally abusive and poor Jason would beg her to stop cheating on him and just, you know, come home and be his wife. But she had literally no respect for him. She would talk down to him and she just continued to leave, live as she pleased. So they asked Jason about Chris and he told the cops, yeah, I was aware that Kelly was having an affair. I'm not happy about it, but I really didn't have much of a choice. She threatened to divorce me if I didn't just deal with it. So I just decided to accept it. Um, and he would also wait impatiently for his wife to come home. So he wasn't really accepting of it. So anyway, Jason also tells the cops that on October 16th, by the way, two days after Chris disappeared, he checked himself into a psychiatric hospital for being suicidal. He represented to the cops that he never threatened to kill Kelly or harm her. And they asked if he killed Chris and he said he didn't. Chief Fritzo could tell that Jason's, Jason's sobbing act was just that, an act. And she said that she knew he was breaking down because he felt guilty. 
So Chief Fritzo and the police got help from the military and they searched the area where Chris's car was found. There, like I said, used to be a lot of mines, but they all closed down in the 70s and they caved in over time and just filled with water. And of course they searched all that because those are great places to hide a body. That's not uh, an endorsement of any kind. Just an observation. So Jason claimed that he was fine with Kelly and Chris having an affair, but when police searched Jason's phone the week before Chris went missing, Jason's text to Kelly told a completely different story. There were texts where he was begging her to not be with other guys, telling her he knew she was going out with other guys after work or during lunch and begging her to stop. And um, so the police also interviewed a young man named Lynn Decora who worked with Kelly and he said that Kelly told him all kinds of crazy things about Jason. And she told Lynn that Jason would go through her pockets and Jason was abusive. And she basically presented it to Lynn like Jason was actually really capable of harming her. So on November 10th, 2014, Chief Fritzo went to Kelly's house to interview her again. And when Chief Fritzo got in the house, she noticed that it was like dark and Kelly said, oh yeah, we're just remodeling. And Chief Fritzo asked if they would just come down to the office again. And, um, where was I? So separately. So she wanted to interview them one at a time. And Jason agreed to go down to the station first. And she asked him about his marriage and how often Kelly was going out. And he said, you know, yeah, she'll come home after work, change her clothes and go right back out. Kelly was awful to him. She would tell Jason to just kill himself. She would tell Jason everybody would be better off without him. And Chief Fritzo asked Jason if he knew where Chris lived and if he ever confronted Chris face to face. Well, Jason said that he could see Kelly's car parked at a place that he believed was Chris's place. There was a white truck with a kayak on top and Kelly mentioned having gone kayaking with Chris at some point. So that's why Jason assumed that that particular place was Chris's. Um, so later that day, police talked with Kelly again and she told them that Jason saw her truck at Chris's and um, Chief Fritzo asked Kelly if Kelly would take a polygraph and Kelly refused because she quote, didn't do anything. Uh-huh. So within days of starting the investigation, Chief Fritzo got a call from Chris Regan and said, he said, uh, I'm Chris Regan. And she's like, uh, yeah, well, wow, we've been looking for you. And then he's like, no, I'm Chris Regan Jr. And he explains that he and his father had been estranged and were working on their relationship and moving to North Carolina together. Chris Jr. was already packed and ready to go. And he knew something was really wrong when his dad didn't show up. In December 2014, Chief Fritzo was criticized for, quote, taking too many resources investigating the murder of Chris Regan. Chief Fritzo was a female in a male-dominated town, and they just were really hard on her. They were a bunch of assholes, honestly. And um, I can't remember, I think it was the city manager, I think. He's a real douchebag. We'll talk about him later. So anyway, Terry O'Donnell described Chief Fritzo as putting everything into the investigation, and she really did. Like, Chief Fritzo had an amazing heart, and she just was determined 
to bring this family closure and to bring Ms. O'Donnell closure. In February 2015, Chris Jr. went to Iron River to clean out his dad's apartment. And Chief Fritzo gave Chris Jr. his dog tags that she had found in the apartment. <clears throat> At this point, the police also interview Eric Erickson, and he said that he was in the military. He served two tours in Afghanistan. He worked at Goldberg with Chris and Kelly. So obviously it's Goldberg. I, re- I wrote Goldberg twice, so that's got to be right. So Chris was his supervisor, and he went to lunch with Kelly one day, and they hit it off. So she asked him to go out at night a couple times, and he went because he didn't really know anybody. And soon after, they were meeting up for drinks and having sex. And he said that they started sleeping together sometime in September of 2014. So one day, like they're hanging out and she suggested that they pull off the road and have sex. And she suggests a place called Wildwood Lake. So he pulls them into a park and ride nearby that lake where they can have sex. And cops asked Eric how Kelly knew about that park and ride and he said well I showed her um, and so he was explaining a little bit more about his relationship with Kelly and the, Eric told the cops that Kelly was sort of hot and cold with him like two days before Chris went missing Kelly and Eric met up at a park and at the park and ride to have sex so at this point cops know that Kelly lied to them about having quote no idea that there was a park and ride nearby where Chris's abandoned car was found Chief Fritzo said that Eric was so calm and collected during the interview and willing to help, he wasn't acting nervous at all. So they asked him to take a polygraph and he agreed and passed. So the police did not at all consider him a suspect. Um, But Eric warned Chief Fritzo that Kelly could not be trusted and that she made up stories. Kelly told the police that Chris had asked her to go to Asheville, North Carolina with him. And um, Chief Fritzo uncovered a text dated October 20th between Kelly and a guy named Art Johnson. Art had asked when Kelly had last spoken with Chris, and she told Art that she hadn't spoken to Chris since, quote, last week. So Chief Fritzo called Art to come to the police station for an interview to find out how many people knew that Chris and Kelly were seeing each other. Art tells Chief Fritzo that it was common knowledge among maybe 10 to 15 people at work um, who knew about Chris and Kelly. And Chris was actually really upset that Kelly had told anybody that they were seeing each other because he was really private and he didn't want people to know about their relationship at that stage. They had just barely met. So he just kind of wanted to, you know, play it cool for a bit and uh, not damage the reputation. If uh, she turned out to be a psycho, which she was. Sorry, Chris. Sorry, Chris. It was really bad. In March 2015, Chief Fritzo finally had enough evidence for a search warrant of the Cochrane home. And they handed Kelly the search warrant and asked her where the weapons were in the house. And Kelly and Jason were escorted out of the house. And while the police searched the house, they hung out at their neighbor's house. Um, These neighbors have a lot of interesting things to say, and we'll talk about them later. Um, So the neighbor later said that Jason was acting really weird. Um, He was real quiet, and his face was like beet red. 
he said uh, beat red with fear, but like, I don't know that fear makes you beat red. I'm pretty sure anger does. I don't know. I don't know why his face was red, but it was red. That's what he said. So he said that Kelly was talking a lot, asking fucking weird questions. Like, do you think they'll find hair or blood? And the neighbor was convinced that they had done something because of the questions that she had been asking. He's like, you don't ask those sorts of questions if you didn't do anything. Because why would they find fucking hair or blood in your house if you didn't do something? And honestly, unless it's your own hair or blood, which would make no sense for them to like bring you in for. So anyway, back at uh, Kelly's house, Chief Fritzo uncovered a cache of knives and swords and bows and arrows and guns and all kinds of weapons. So they were like, they were definitely those creepers that had a shit ton of weapons like it's the Middle Ages. Um, So during the investigating, the cops noticed that the house had recently been painted and they could still see where there were these like big spots on the ceiling that looked like raindrops and um, some other spots that actually looked like blood spatter. So they marked the spots for the forensics team and Chief Fritzo left feeling pretty pleased that they had found what they needed. And the next morning, the Cochran's hightailed it out of Michigan and went to Indiana. So the neighbors, where they were uh, while the cops were searching their house, the neighbors' names are David and Todd Saylor. And David and Todd told the police that the Cochran's had hung out at their house and they told the cops that Kelly was asking all kinds of wild questions. Chief Fritzo wanted to know if they saw or heard anything around the time that Chris Regan had disappeared and they told her that they had, in fact, heard something the night Chris disappeared. Todd said that his grandma woke up one night to hear a gunshot, loud screaming, a cat, uh, a cat, a car door slamming, and two vehicles leaving. <laughs> a cat. She also randomly heard a cat. Grandma is Carolyn Myatek, and she was interviewed by the police, and she told them that she looked out the window and she could see Kelly looking like she was in distress. And then a man came outside and said, let's get the hell out of here. So for several days after that, um, they would hear power tools in the middle of the night for like weird ass hours, like two or three o'clock in the morning. They said it sounded like sanding or using reciprocating saws. So at this point, Chief Fritzo is considering that Kelly and Jason shot and dismembered Chris in their own house. Todd recalls thinking of the Cochran's after having spoken with the police. Wow, like what kind of people are these? So Chief Fritzo interviewed Todd and David Saylor again, and they tell her that they started hanging out with the Cochran's in maybe September of 2014. They would just hang out, smoke weed. Kelly was really talkative. David was friendly enough. And um, David Saylor said that, did I say David was friendly enough? I meant Jason. He was, um, David was a friendly guy. and. I don't, why did I write David? I meant Jason because they're talking about Jason. Sorry guys. So anyway, David said that Jason told him that he and Kelly were actually having marital problems and she was cheating on him a lot. One night, about two days after Chris was missing, Kelly and Jason invited David and Todd over for dinner and they accepted the invitation. David thought it was a strange invitation, not only because they'd never been invited to dinner 
um, but also because Kelly and Jason were, quote, always broke, and all of a sudden they had at least $150 to $200 worth of meat for this party. Jason told the guests that he had been a butcher in Indiana and that he specialized in exotic meats. Y'all know where this is going. So David Saylor reported that the meat was weirdly transparent, like lobster or shrimp, and had a similar texture. After learning that what he had eaten was Chris Reagan, David Saylor reported that his appetite just died and he found it very difficult to eat at all. Yeah, I would have stopped eating forever too. Two weeks after the search of the Cochran's house, I definitely would have been a vegetarian. Like, that is so foul. I can't even freaking imagine. So anyway, two weeks after the search of the Cochran's house, on March 27, 2015, the lab results came back from the forensics of the blood spatter at the Cochran's house, and they were able to tell that it was blood, but there was not enough material to gather whether it was human blood or animal blood. I know it sucks. It's so freaking frustrating. So Chief Fritzo was really frustrated. She went back to the house that very same day to conduct another search. She did find some more blood spatter. She sent that in for testing. She searched the basement as well. And she found some of Jason's writings that he had written while he was in the psychiatric hospital a few days after um, Chris had disappeared. And he had written a really freaking weird strange poem about a hunter getting a tingly feeling when catching prey. It was really eerie. So unfortunately, writing weird fucking things isn't grounds for an arrest. So the lab called Chief Fritzo and asked her to get elimination samples of Kelly and Jason's DNA to help rule out whose blood it was. So remember, at this time, Kelly and Jason were on the lam in Indiana. In March 5th, uh, on March 5th, 2015, One of Chief Fritzo's private investigators called her to tell her that he knew where they were because they had placed a GPS tracker on the Cochran's truck. And one of the PIs described that they put this tracker on the truck in the pre-dawn hours, being careful to walk in tire tracks to hide their footprints in the snow. And the other PI got under the truck to put the tracker on. And she said it had a really heavy magnet, so it would, it's not a quiet installation. So they were like really on edge and she mentioned just being fully aware that at that moment if somebody were to catch them they would be in very real danger. But thankfully neither Kelly nor Jason heard anything and the tracker was ready to do its part. So the tracker showed that the Cochrans appeared to be fleeing the state. The tracker showed that they had stopped in Merrillville, Indiana. So Chief Fritzo called the Indiana Lake County Sheriff's Department to request their help in getting DNA samples from Kelly and Jason. David Saylor agreed to call on the Cochran's and just check in with them, ask them how they've been and stuff. He spoke with Kelly who said that they were at her mom's house in Indiana. So the cops cornered Jason and brought him to the police station where Chief Fritzo surprised him. And she was like, bet you're shocked to see me here. He's like, "Uh, yeah, it was pretty funny the way she walked in. She's like, hello. He's like, oh. (laughs) She asked him a bunch of questions related to the text messages that he had sent Kelly, um, you know, about, please stop cheating on me, blah, blah, blah. And Jason refused to answer any questions. And he said, I think I want a lawyer at this point. So they took his DNA as they had wanted to and sent him away. Kelly, who had been frantically calling Jason's phone while he had been on the phone with police, 
uh, well, he had been with the police, was brought in for her DNA test and further confronted with the text between she and Jason, showing them fighting about Chris. Chief Fritzo then asks, or calls Kelly out on her biggest lie, and she's confronted her about when Kelly has said, oh, I have no idea where the park and ride is. And she said, well, yeah, well, that's where Chris... Chris's car was found and we know you're lying about not knowing where the park and ride is because Eric told us that you guys hooked up there and he's the one that showed you that spot so Kelly was like I'm done with the questions and I want a lawyer so they took her DNA as they wanted and she was released and uh, she and Jason both went back to living their old lives there was an abandoned mine behind the Cochran's house called the Caspian Pit And in the spring of 2015, when the snow had finally melted, Chief Fritzo obtained a search warrant for the Caspian Pit. When the divers searched, they found a cement block with a clothesline attached to it, and the other end of the clothesline was attached to a barrel. Neighbors corroborated that the clothesline was used to, uh, that, I can't talk and I can't read. So neighbors corroborated that the clothesline used to hang in the Cochran's backyard, And another neighbor named Gary Wernham reported that he noticed the Cochran's burning something a few days after Chris went missing, and he said it smelled awful. He said, what are you burning? It smells terrible. And Kelly was like, oh, it's just some brush. And he reportedly responded that he had lived out there all his life, and he had never had a brush burn smell that way. And he recalled that Kelly said back to him, it doesn't smell that bad, does it? And he was like, "Uh, yeah, it does. It smells worse than burning tires. So the cops noticed the burn pit where the barrel had stood and collected all the ash from the burn pit and they analyzed it. The results were pretty staggering. They found bits of clothing and a piece of a reciprocating saw. So they still need to find a way to prove that these items are connected with Chris Regan. Around this time, she got her lab results from the second set of blood samples that she sent. Um, But the samples were too contaminated with cleaning products and the results were inconclusive. Damn! By now, Chief Fritzo has the FBI involved. She had spoken with six or seven FBI administrators and they all complimented her on doing such a thorough investigation. Chief Fritzo was a badass. So anyway, they were all ready to work their magic and help her solve this case. They got right to work on reverse engineering the GPS in Chris's car and they could prove that he was at the Cochran's house the night he disappeared. They also found a rabbit's foot keychain under the front porch of of the Cochran's house. And Chief Fritzo called Terry O'Donnell about it and asked Terry, um, you know, does this make any sense to you? And Terry told her that Chris actually carried a rabbit's foot on him at all times for good luck. In February 2016, a 911 call is placed in Lake County, Indiana. Kelly had called because Jason uh, had died of an apparent drug overdose. And when the paramedics got there, they reported that Kelly was actually getting in their way and like preventing them from saving him. A local homicide detective was assigned to rule out murder and um, his name is Detective Jeremy Ogden. So he called Chief Fritzo to ask for the documents that she had in her investigation. 
The autopsy would later show that Jason's sinus cavities had collapsed and that he had what are called petechial hemorrhages. His death was ruled a homicide. Kelly later admitted that she sat on Jason's chest and held his nose and mouth closed while he tried to throw up from the heroin overdose and she suffocated him. And she told Walt, um, which is their friend, that she wanted Jason to know that she had killed him. Just pretty fucked up. Detective Ogden knew that he could arrest Kelly as soon as the toxicology reports came in, but he really wanted to find out what happened to Chris Regan. So on February 29th, 2016, Detective Ogden interviewed Kelly again, and she basically said that the night that uh, Jason had died, they just smoked a couple joints and fell asleep, and when she woke up, he wasn't awake. So she said that she slapped him to help him wake up, and that wasn't working. Detective Ogden then, you know, tried to switch topics and discuss Chris Regan, but Kelly didn't give up any information. So the FBI linked Detective Ogden up with Jason's best friend, Walt Ammerman. So Detective Ogden asked Walt to be their confidential informant. And Walt, who already had some negative feelings about Kelly and the susp- his suspicions about Kelly after Jason had died, Uh, agreed to it, especially since he knew Chris Regan was missing. And on March 16th, 2016, they came up with a plan that Walt would call Kelly from a recorded line and tell her that Jason had given him a letter to give to the cops in case anything happened. They had no way of knowing if this would work or not, but Chief Fritzo said that she was willing to try anything because she knew she would not have a moment's peace until she figured out what happened to Chris. So the letter that Walt was giving to the police was supposed to have said what happened to Chris Reagan. And Walt wrote out a script so that, you know, he could be real thorough. And if in case, you know, uh, Kelly asked any questions, he could just refer to the letter, his, his little script. And he actually wrote out the letter as well. And so once the script for the phone call and the letter that, you know, Jason was supposed to have written were written out and prepared he got with the cops and they called kelly walt explained in one of the documentaries that he wanted to write it out because he like i said wanted to be able to repeat verbatim what the letter said in case kelly wanted to hear it over again he just really wanted it to be believable because he felt like we only have one shot at this so when they made the call and he told kelly about the letter kelly literally gasped and when he mentioned he was going to give it to the police, she just said, please don't. And then Walt said, as soon as she said that, she just flipped the script and said, you know what, you get, you got to do what you got to do. Um, so Walt emailed Chief Fritzo with a copy of the recording from the phone call with Kelly, where they talked about the letter. And Chief Fritzo said that she just about fell out of her chair because they totally had Kelly. On March 29th, 2016, Kelly is brought back to Hobart PD in Lake County, Indiana, and she admits that Chris is dead, and she said that Jason shot and killed Chris. It's very fucking convenient of her to blame Jason at this point, right? Why not? He's already dead. So she tried to make herself a witness to Chris's death rather than a suspect. Um, But she also finally admitted that they dismembered Chris. 
I'm not sure when he told her. I assume pretty quickly after his confession, uh, this confession. But Detective Ogden told Chief Fritzo that Kelly admitted Jason shot Chris with a single rifle shot to the head. So Detective Ogden convinced Kelly to go with him back to Upper Peninsula, Michigan, and, you know, show him where Chris was. And when they got there, Kelly takes them to 639 Pentoga Trail, where she claims that they dumped Chris's remains. They then went to her old house, and Detective Ogden asked her to do a reenactment of what happened the night that Chris disappeared. Kelly tried to say she didn't know that Jason was in the house when she invited Chris over to have sex, and she said that just as they were walking upstairs, she was walking behind Chris. Jason shot past her, shooting Chris in the head with a rifle, and she hadn't known that he was going to do that, which is obviously bullshit. She claimed that um, Jason made her clean up after he dismembered Chris, which, uh, okay, I'm sure he didn't make you, but you definitely had to. So at Pentoga Trail, there was no sign of Chris's remains, and Detective Ogden and Kelly went back to Indiana, and they continued his line of questioning, and they also subsequently secured an arrest warrant. But Kelly had left the state, and they had to do a little searching for her, and they found her in Wingo, Kentucky. She was charged with homicide, home invasion, disinterment, mutilation, and uh, concealing a death, lying to the police, and being an accessory to a crime. Kelly finally confessed to the police about the pact that she and Jason had made and that she was actually supposed to kill Chris herself. And she admitted that she was in on the plan to kill Chris and that she helped plan the murder. On May 17th, 2016, Kelly agreed to be interviewed for Dead North. She said that they used black garbage bags to dispose of Chris's body. It was honestly so annoying to see Kelly in the documentary acting like she's just trying to be helpful and that she led the police to believe that, you know, she had more to do with his death than she actually did because she felt guilty that Chris wasn't here. Like, fuck off, Kelly. I'm sure. Uh, Okay, so using a cadaver dog, they actually found the bags where Chris's remains had been, but it clearly had been ravaged by animals. However, they found Chris's skull nearby. Chief Fritzo recalls saying to Chris's spirit, I finally found you. That day, Kelly also showed police where she and Jason tossed part of the murder weapon. She pointed out a pair of forceps that she said Jason made her use to try and pull the bullet out of Chris's skull. That was the one item that was found conclusively to have Chris Regan's blood on it. I just, when I saw that though, I got, I gotta say, I was like, how the fuck did you guys not notice these forceps with blood on them? Or maybe they were clean? I don't know. But yeah, I was wondering that. Hopefully there was no blood on them because that would be embarrassing for them. So anyway, Chief Fritzo and Detective Ogden hit it off. Um, you know, during this investigation, they obviously spent a lot of time collaborating on the case. So eventually they spent some of their off time together and they started dating. They are literally so cute. You guys should look them up. 
they fell in love. Um, they have kept their relationship pretty under wraps, so I'm not sure if they're married yet or not, whatever. But anyway, Chief Fritzo is a beautiful person inside and out, and she deserves to be happy. So whatever they are, I hope they're both happy and blessed by their relationship. Um, so anyway, thanks to these lovely people, Kelly was arrested and she was in jail for murder and awaiting trial. Things were going pretty swell until December 2016 when Chief Fritzo was fired because of that bureaucratic bullshit and their misogynistic douchey city manager named David Thayer. David Thayer, you suck. They forced her out and um, basically they felt the investigation was taking too long and there was the added sin of the investigation having been run by a woman. So uh, it's really such bullshit. It's like, okay, like it's been a year and a half and of course it took a long time. The murderer ate him. So like, it's a little hard to find the evidence there. So anyways, Chief Fritzo actually has a blog and um, this is what Chief Fritzo said about David Thayer and that whole situation. She says, I have letters from Christy Salo and Patricia Dawson, who both endured sexist, demeaning, and abusive behavior from Thayer. Dawson was put through an identical set of circumstances as me with Thayer. Also a letter from the city manager of Grayling, where Thayer worked until 2010. This manager also told me how Thayer would urinate on the toilet seats to show his dislike for the women that he worked with. Side note fucking douchebag David Thayer. Back to what she said. So Chief Frisso also said, another woman who reached out to me is Diana Doyle. Diana is the mother of Thayer's now 16-year-old daughter. Diana told me about being in a very abusive relationship with Thayer in which he beat her severely and also abused their daughter. She said that he told her on many occasions how much he despised women in authority positions, telling her that women don't belong in men's occupations. This is exactly what Thayer said to me in his office in July of 2016. Thayer is a douchebag. Thayer is a douchebag. Thayer, you are a douchebag. So back to Kelly's story. October 2017, while filming the Dead North documentary, they found a jawbone with teeth and Laura Fritzo sobbed. She said that um, she felt much more emotional finding the jawbone than she had when they found the skull. By now, like obviously she's been fired, so she's still working on this like independently. Um, And like, well, I don't know if she's working on it independently. I mean, at this point, this is just for the documentary, but anyway, I think she's probably, she probably was still doing a little digging. So anyhow, um, the jawbone was later found to belong to Chris. Kelly's trial began on February of 2017 and Kelly's arrogant idiot ass even took the stand herself and tried to present herself as a victim who was forced to kill Chris because she was afraid that her husband would kill her. But the jury did not buy it. One of the jurors said that Kelly showed no emotion during the trial and that she had a smirk the whole time. She said that she was absolutely horrified that Kelly and Jason lured Chris to their house and murdered him. In May 2017, Kelly was found guilty of the murder of Chris Reagan 
murder, larceny, concealing a dead body, lying about the death of an individual, and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So Kelly had a thing for butterflies. Like she had butterfly trinkets all over her house. She had a shit ton of butterfly tattoos. And Chief Fritzo believes that Kelly had got a butterfly tattooed on her for every victim that she killed. Um, Kelly also told Detective Ogden that she murdered people in Michigan, Tennessee, Indiana, and Minnesota. And it's believed she murdered about nine people. In April 2018, Kelly was also sentenced to an additional 65 years in prison for murdering her husband, Jason Cochran. So there it is, the wild story of the psycho-sociopathic Kelly Cochran, the devil woman of Michigan. And the amazing Chief Laura Fritzo, who truly was so inspiring and beautiful to watch, I highly, highly recommend that you guys check out the Dead North documentary. It's available for purchase on Amazon Prime and YouTube. This is not an app, but I mean uh, an ad, but it could be. Um, So yeah, definitely check those out. They're really good. And if I didn't tell you guys before, I actually have an Instagram for this cute little podcast. And it is, my handle is at sick true crime podcast that's it so i actually am going to um put all these links in the show notes so you will be able to see all these cute little pictures of laura frizzo and jeremy ogden and you will also see the ugly and stupid kelly cochran and the sweet late departed chris regan and his lovely terry o'donnell so yeah all kinds of cute pictures coming up and some creepy pictures So you can have some faces to put with the story. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sorry I'm not really a fluid reader, like out loud. I make a lot of like mistakes and like flub my words, whatever. But if you guys are listening and you're cool with it and you just enjoy listening to the story and don't really worry about the fact that I flub, I'm good with it too. And that's all I have for you this evening. And please join me again in a couple of weeks where we will discuss a whole new sick true crime story. I don't even know what it's going to be yet. So, um, yeah. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you later. Bye.